When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi everyone, this might only be relevant to Irish listeners, but there's a lot of you, so I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, the following podcast was recorded in conjunction with a new documentary about the life of Maeve Binchy. It's called Maeve Binchy, The Magic of the Ordinary. It's going to be on RT1 Monday, May 9th from half nine. Uh, obviously you can get it on RT player if that's uh, even working at the moment. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, uh, was it really fun to record this on camera? And I think about three minutes of it made it into the show. So keep an eye out for us. Hello and welcome to Sentimental Garbage's third annual Binchy Cast, a very special episode where me and the author Sarah Maria Griffin talk about a Maeve Binchy book and then scream at each other about it. My name is Caroline O'Donoghue and I'm the female Goodnight Mr. Tom story you've been waiting for. Joining me is Sarah Maria Griffin and you're my long distance pen pal whose friendship lasts a lifetime. <laughs> the parallels did not uh, escape me, I think. It's great to be back here. I can't believe this is our third uh, voyage across the great ocean of, of Maeve Binchy. I can't believe how far we have come and how far we have left to go as well. You know, we what have- a quest. We will be in our 60s and still, still doing this every year. Still be turning it over, you know. It will be our own light a penny candle where like our, our, our separate lives are punctuated not by letters, but by podcasts where we talk about Mae Vinci. I feel like our extensive WhatsApp uh, notes will be um, not dissimilar to a lot of the letters that uh, exist within light a penny candle, I think. Um, it was really beautiful to read a book that was so obviously and thoroughly about friendship and especially to read it in this context you know our kind of partnership through the Binchy books felt um to me anyway like it reverberated in this one particularly strongly you know yeah yeah and like just for people who are new to the concept of the Binchy cast why do we do this <laughs> well you we could do anything else we could do Marion Keys we could do you know Catherine Cookson we could do any kind of female author who's written a lot of stuff why do we do this and what does it do for us? I think, forgive, forgive me if I'm wrong, but I think you and I were both hit with an incredible velocity by Circle of Friends. Mm. And when we both were reeling from that experience, and especially the context in which we recorded that podcast. Now, for, again, folks who might be new to this particular journey, uh, we are... Um, we are recording the studio today, but when we recorded our first Vinci cast, we were recording on a stage in a forest at a music festival as two people who didn't know each other all that well. We were at the very beginning of of knowing each other, I think. And I think combining the context of going to record a podcast at a music festival in a forest um, and that journey that we took that day in particular and the weight and the power of Circle of Friends, I think whatever cocktail happened when we first read that book is something that we wanted to drink from again. That's my experience anyway. I'm in it, I'm in it as much for Vinci's work as I am for your opinions on her work. 
It's so it's so beautiful, and I feel exactly the same. And you're so right. It was um one of these rare experiences that really compounds a piece of work in your heart, where the intensity of your experience with the work matches the intensity that you have mm. discussing the work. To have this book enter into my life, and I think we were. What was important is that we were both in a similar place in our writing careers, in that mm. we weren't, you know. You know, it, I hope at the beginning of our careers, right? Yeah. I, my my plan is that we both have extremely long careers, as long as Mae Vinci's was, and already feeling a sense of exhaustion. Yeah. And a feeling that, and I've been thinking about this a lot with Maeve and why I prescribe Maeve to people like she's antibiotics. Mm. Um, and I think it's something to do with, I think society <laughs> and, and therefore culture has become rapidly isolationist. And I think a lot of stuff, a lot of media has become about being knowing and being cynical and sort of looking to the camera and doing that flea bag thing, whether it's in um, literature or in TV or whatever, of sort of looking to the camera with your cock eye and just being like, you know. Aren't we telling a story again, girls? There's a (laughs) sort of an edge to it. And I understand that, I understand why we're there, but I understand that that also needs an antidote. Yes, and the antidote is Binchy because she... Rather than it being this isolationist journey with her books, you get so many characters, all of whom care about each other, all of whom you care about, and all of whom care deeply about hurting one another's feelings. Mm. And like she deals with these huge themes in all of her books, whether it's like education or divorce or abortion. But the real emotional stakes is when someone gets their pride wounded or when someone's just slightly hurt by someone or feels slightly left out. And she just she makes those feelings so huge, not melodramatic, but no. just enormous. No, she refuses melodrama at any turn, though melodrama occurs regularly and punctuates her work there's a sort of a an earthiness about how all of the characters handle it so when they are hurt it reverberates more you know like there's a sensibleness to everybody and a refusal of silliness and I think that that's what makes the emotions kind of stand out even more and you root for them to love each other and I think especially with Light a Penny Candle it is a love story you know and um it's about caring about other people and ca- and holding friendships for long periods of time and family. And she writes so beautifully and in a way that's very total about communities and families. She's a person who writes about ensembles in a world that now, like, you, you know, Fleabag, like today, the work that we make is very isolationist and it's individual. It's very me against the world. Yes, yes. And yeah. that's how we perform ourselves. Like, the the way that we live um is a little bit you kind of you're kind of minding yourself as opposed to minding the village yeah. or minding the family or minding your pals and i think that maybe that's part of the romance of light penny candle is that everybody and also occasionally um it's part of the heartbreak and the difficulty of the work and similarly in echoes i feel there there's a lot of that um about belonging intrinsically to a cast like a a, a chorus mm. of people uh, to whom you hold responsibility and to whom like you're sort of emotionally invested as well um her books are about a lot of people all at once but they're also incredibly close character studies as well yeah yeah and and before we get into a more you know detailed plot summary of light a penny candle i also feel like part of my attachment to these books because it's funny because I have this thing I'll often speak to my mom about it and she's a big reader as well and she's a bit like 
what are you reading that for? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like my, you know, and I think it's because, you know, it's this peculiar kind of escapism when you're a millennial woman reading Maeve Binchy because it's a world your mom escaped from. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's that yeah. small town. I, and my favourite Maeve Binchy books are all, there's like a lot of them and they span lots of different time periods and some of them are more urban and some of them aren't. But the ones I love are the ones that are in tiny, tiny Irish towns, towns yeah. in the 50s, in the 60s. Things are kind of changing but not quickly enough and people bristling against things and like, you know, my mom's a bit like, why the, why do you want to be reading about that for? <laughs> do you know what I mean? Because that's the kind of mentality that she strove to escape. Oh, in Ireland, I'll never really know. And that you know, I just think that generation of women, like we're losing them. Yeah. And, you know, my grandmother was a Maeve Binge fan and like a Nula O'Foylan fan and then O'Brien fan. And like she died when I was 13. And I feel like I never took the time because I, I wouldn't have had the language to get to know her on that level. And so mm. I feel like I get to know that generation through these books as well. They are a time travel object. And I think like anybody reading about their reading about the lives that they try to escape, I find, for example, any fiction set in San Francisco intolerable, mm, mm. you know, because I am finished with that time in my life. I find a lot of like it, it takes a, a lot for me to get back into a piece of work even set in Dublin when you're from somewhere and when you're pushing against somewhere and when you have explored and done your own saga with a place. You, you don't really want to go back. Yeah, and you don't want anyone else telling you how it was no, either. No, yeah. no, do not hand me your romantic tales of this place that I'm finished with. So I can yeah. completely see why there's a generation of readers who are like, oh Jesus, don't put me, oh, is there a post office in a hotel? Yeah, you know, like don't want to do <laughs> and it. And a bank. And a bank, oh yeah. Like I don't, I can see that. But for is us, there a post office and a hotel? The know, answer to both is yes. Absolutely there is. And there are both staffs of both establishments are watching you. You know, like there's I understand the revulsion and the refusal, but I having skipped a generation, it's like it must be like twins, you know, it sort of yeah. skips a generation and you can find yourself looking fondly at this other world that undoubtedly would have eaten you alive. Oh, yeah. like I can romanticize um, Castle Bay or wherever uh, out the eyeballs. But um, I know that any sort of realism in, in any sort of realistic yeah. context, it would have killed me. It's cosy because it can't get me. Mm. It's a fairy tale. Yeah. 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 And uh, yeah, I'm just going to crack on with the plot summary. Mm. I, I really do hope that everyone has read this thing. There'll be, be a quiz at the end, girls. <laughs> I have given everyone on my Instagram fair warning of about 10 weeks. So, you know, no excuses. I only hear that it's too long. It's not too long. It's, it's perfect. Long. It races by, <laughs> girls. 600 pages of who? No way. Okay, so this is taken from Amazon. Evacuated from blitz-battered London, shy and genteel Elizabeth White is sent to stay with the boisterous O'Connors in Kilgarrett, Ireland. It is the beginning of an unshakable bond between Elizabeth and Ashton O'Connor, a friendship which will endure through 20 turbulent years of change and chaos, joy and sorrow, soaring dreams and searing betrayals. And now I stumbled on that last mm. word because the, the beauty of this novel is there are no searing betrayals. There is exactly one. You know, there's exactly yeah. one at the end. Yeah. And that's yeah. it. Yeah. That's it. And the th the weird thing about reading this novel is that like you, it is this kind of like beautiful Goodnight Mr. Tom story for the first third mm. where it's like this, this, you know, shy kid who has kind of neglectful, sort of quietly terrible parents 
coming over to Ireland and like it's 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 the, it's the real Anglo-Irish fantasy of like the English are middle class and withdrawn and boring and the Irish are passionate and fun loving and teach you how to be a real person and will baptize you in the school supply closet so like <laughs> yeah. they are uh, unhinged demented and are a cure somehow for the stiffness and properness and like I guess horror of war torn England yeah. you know like the I read The Railway Children. Did you read The Railway Children as a kid? No. Like, I mean, I was there. Like, I read it, you know, and I, I understand that there's this sort of, um, it's something that we don't have as, as kids with, the, you know, with Irish history. You realise at a certain point at which Irish history and English history are like... They, they diverge and also, as a result, <laughs> Irish children's literature and English children's literature diverge. Continentally different. Yeah, like, There's not yeah. a lot of drinking blood out of cow's necks in uh, <laughs> <laughs> I always you know? say that to my English friends. Like, you were learning about Blitz kids. We were learning about famine kids. It's like, slips under the hawthorn tree to my English friends and be like, there you go. There you go. You, can, you don't have to watch Wind the Chuck the Barley if you, if you read that one. Um, so, uh, definitely, there is a sort of a sorrow and a... Um, a hardship to what Elizabeth is coming from but there's also this and they bundled up all the little boys and girls and sent them away to the countryside so they wouldn't get bombed like <laughs> love you know, this for you love this love. for you okay and, but, but the the that means because the children are so young that Eileen um uh the mother is sort of the protagonist of this first movement. So there's sort mm. of an, there's an intergenerational friendship at play here, right? Mm-hmm. Which is very important. Um, so Eileen, this is to Eileen and Violet's whole deal. Yeah, Eileen and Violet went to Catholic, uh, to a convent together and stay, and were best of friends, inseparable uh, as teenagers. And Violet went away to England and Eileen stayed in Ireland and they retained a correspondence which over the years became one-sided became one-sided Eileen has a lot of love to give um, Eileen is for me the greatest tragedy of this novel but mm. um, Eileen is an enormous personality and is somebody who seems to hold a kind of an index of everybody's lives and has endless energy to stay in touch with people is a tremendous Irish matriarch but also suffers from all of the horror and cruelty that can come with that title so she leads us through the first movement of this novel, both through her correspondence with Violet, who's Elizabeth's mother, and with her, I guess, caretaker role of Elizabeth, Violet's little girl, when she comes to live uh, in Ireland for the Blitz. Yeah, and it's it, it, it's already from the first pages sort of steeped in quiet tragedy mm. because it's this thing of like, Violet and she, oh, the Violet. journey this character goes oh on. Oh my God, Violet. You begin with her and you're like, this is just like uh, evil stepmother role kind of thing. The the coldest sort of She's fish. so unhappy and cold and rigorous. Like I texted you uh, when I was starting to get to know her and I was just like, what is going on? I don't, I'm not enjoying this woman. Not enjoying yeah. her. Like she's a very particular kind of withholding, judgmental. Um, she's miserable and she also doesn't enjoy her daughter like she really doesn't even like her she sort of regards it doesn't Elizabeth. like motherhood no and she regards Elizabeth sort of cruelly we Binchy sort of this magician who can hop in and out of people's internal monologues seamlessly and without jarring while we're learning what one character thinks and then immediately what another character thinks it never feels which is something you're told not to do uh, as a novelist head hopping you she know? is the omniscient she is absolutely master class in omniscience you know and um, she when we see the world through Violet's eyes it is a very cruel place and she is so joyless and she's putting that into her daughter and in a way uh, Elizabeth is restored and given a sort of a, a liveliness 
by this sort of mythical yeah. journey to Ireland. Um, I feel terrible for Elizabeth for the first part of that book. She's so bound or something. She's a yeah. really tragic character initially. She's a sad kid. And she's sort of been made to think that, um, you know, this family couldn't be more eager to make her one of their own. Do you mm, know what I mean? And mm. like, and they give her pocket money the same as everybody else. And the it's, bike for Christmas. And the bike for Christmas yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And she's, there's not really one second where she really thinks of them as their sister or her daughter. She does think of herself as like someone who's being helped. Mm. And even though she loves them dearly, there is a sense of... Um, distance. Distance and, and immense and gratitude that creates distance. Mm. Do you know? Mm. And a boundary some, there. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. Violet is like so, especially the way she builds the character of the fam, the characters of the family as like gross and messy and a disaster and they're all over the place and that town is horrible. Everyone's clothes. Like she's yeah. a, a kind of a monster about this incredible act of generosity that she's experiencing. Like, it's really tricky to get behind her at all in the first... Actually, at all. At all. At all. Throughout. As you... As it goes on, you do understand her more and yeah, why she's become do. that way and all that. And we'll get to it when we get to it. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's very wicked stepmother at the very mm. beginning. And it's an interesting thing because this is during the war or as... It, Arden referred to it as the emergency. The emergency, <laughs> the capital E, the emergency. The emergency. <laughs> um, and the, it's this interesting thing where it's like, London is being bombed by the Nazis and yet Ireland's a savage place. Yeah. And uh, like, you know, Elizabeth has enough to eat and she kind of spends the food, the, the right? Food. Yeah. It's real food porn. It's real. People like, standing in lines waiting for rations in England and talking about powdered this and powdered that whereas the food that they just these big wedges of yeah. of cake and brack and butter and real food like it's a cornucopia in Ireland um, and it's literally the blitz in London yeah. you know so there's, the, the judgment is really interesting there it's really interesting yeah and it's the only thing they can really cling on to is their own sort of genteelness you mm. Know? Mm. the first time that the book made me well up um, was so you know Violet writes to Eileen saying, hi, I know um, I'm a shit friend and, and never write to you and never inquire about your family. But can you please take my child for an undisclosed period of time, possibly years? Mm -hmm. And um, then Eileen writes a separate letter to Elizabeth. Yeah. And it says, and this is, uh, it's not epistolary, but there are lots of letters in this mm, novel. Loads of brilliant letters. Yeah. And it really made me like, oh, why don't we write letters anymore? Better emails, better emails, you know. Dear Elizabeth, we're all so glad that your mummy is lending you to us for a while. And we hope you'll be happy here. Kilgarrish is very different from London, but everyone is looking forward to meeting you and to make you feel at home. You'll share a room with Ashling, who's exactly the same age as you. And there's only one week in the difference. So we hope you'll be great friends. And it just kind of goes on like this. And it's like this immediate thing of like, I think the sentence that got me was like, we're so glad your mummy's lending you to us. <sighs> what beautiful language. Kindness. Like, that's, how you should, that's how you should speak to a kid, you know? Yeah. Like, Eileen does not know how to speak to adult children, as we learn. But she does know <gasps> yeah. how to speak to children. And it's that sort of Paddington Bear sorrow of, like, child in coat on railway station. You know, like, <laughs> I got off about, I got off at Paddington when I came to London and I was like, where's that bear at? You know? <laughs> where's my bear at? <laughs> Wearing my own giant coat, feeling like a lost child. Um, so yeah, no, it's hu it's hugely evocative. So you are already immediately on the side of this family. And then this is our first glimmer of Ashling as well. Yeah. Exactly the same age as you, but a week apart. Yeah. And it's funny. Cause I, I, I watched the, the doc that RT made about uh, Benji's life in 2012. 
and uh, you know Gordon Snell who's her husband and, and her collaborator and they used to work side by side together and all that would say you know uh, Maeve makes characters too good and mm. and uh, I, when I tell her this she goes off and she has a 10 minute sulk and then she comes <laughs> back and she'll make them do something horrible <laughs> they and, are very wholesome yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah and he said like or I think it was the glass like he was like there was this lovely nun who was too nice to people so, she, so Maeve came back and made her drown a kitten in the first <laughs> chapter Wow, that's yeah. zero to nine. Iconic behavior. <laughs> Iconic behavior. It's like, oh, you think she's too wholesome, Gordon? Meow, meow. <laughs> meow, meow, <laughs> bitch. <laughs> but she does the exact same thing with Eileen because, like, even yeah, though yeah. this is like beautiful, wholesome thing, and she's so loving and so giving, then a couple of pages later, there is this kind of moment where Eileen's a bit like she'd noticed she'd missed a period, and it's like. <sighs> It's real like this lady, this Catholic lady is pregnant again. And 40 she, years of age, she says. Yeah. 40 yeah. years of age. Yeah, and it's like, oh, there's no birth control. And I love my husband. So that means I have to have children until I die yeah. or run out of eggs. Foreshadowing. It's foreshadowing. It's it's like, yeah. I guess, you know, like there's a sort of a like the the big bad, I think, always. But in this book especially is the and the big bad that underscores Ireland as this cornucopia and this wild place is the church. Yeah. And we can be silly and playful about it as a child. And there's brilliant scenes of the girls in the school trying to work out God and mm. occasional funny scenes of them trying to work out sex. And like there's a lovely, again, like anything in childhood, there's sort of a mystery to it. But later on, it becomes kind of toothy. Like really toothy, yeah. and there's a there's a sternness. So yeah, Eileen is committed to the bit, kind of. She's committed, yeah. and Eileen is you know she's against divorce. She's a strong woman oh, of the church. Yeah. She like she doesn't quarter her her children, even making fun of the idea of going to mass. Like there's no humor about God. In oh that no, house. no humor. And it's humor about everything. There's no humor about God. And yet we get this. Mm. So she's Mister Period. She's pregnant. For four evenings, she had very hot baths and a glass of gin. It was just a relaxing thing to do after a day's work. <laughs> she didn't even think she should worry Father Kenny by telling him about it in confession. It wasn't a sin or anything. It was just something women did to get their bodies back to normal when they were a bit overstrained. What an incredible <laughs> piece of witchcraft. Just a glass of gin and a hot bath. Four hot baths. Four hot baths. <laughs> and this is, there. there is abortion in this book. And I think, I believe later it is hand, again, there's so much foreshadowing. And I think this is part of what makes Binchy a machinist in how she tells her stories. She places these things. Mm. Wouldn't it be terrible to marry a drunk? Like she places these little yeah. stones along the way before you get to the temple. And that tiny paragraph about the gins and the baths is... Just a little shadow, yeah, of what is coming, and but it also reveals Eileen as a hypocrite. It's a sh- it's a, it does so many jobs at once. It, yeah, she's it, deeply it avails hypocrisy, but it also plants real. seeds for like the things women have to do that mm. nobody knows about. And you wouldn't even tell the priest. And you would. Why would you, why would bother? you bother him with women's issues? No, you wouldn't say <laughs> yeah. it to him. Not at all. Yeah, and they, they it's handled with such brevity. I think for a very long book, uh, which holds lifetimes in it. Mm. Uh, something I love about it and something that I've loved about Binji's work throughout um, I guess is the brevity that she doesn't linger yeah you know that there's this vignette and then we move on and life continues yeah like there is no indulgence or melodrama it's just this happened and then it was over and then I got a letter in the post and that's <laughs> yeah. and then we're on and then we're on you know yeah. it's incredible pacing like incredible, incredible pacing. 
it's so funny when you think about this as her debut novel oh as well. my god <laughs> and like astonishing. not a sneaky debut novel no, like oh banger it, it broke records for yeah. like how much they paid it was like the, the highest anyone had paid in the UK for a debut novel at that point it was 52 grand oh my god which even now that's a lot now that's a lot like, today if a debut yeah, novelist yeah. who kind of works on an Irish paper sold to a London publisher for 52 grand it's like you, I mean, it wouldn't make the news, but, ah, but you talk about it. <laughs> but Binchy got the US and she got all the yeah, universal yeah. rights around it as well. And that amounts up to your little bookseller note of six-figure deal. Do you know, like, that yeah, is yeah. noteworthy. That is important. So it In was, 1983 as well. Oh, my like. God. Very different. That's a different sum of money at a different time. So yeah. she was hot out of the gates. And I will... It's so interesting having read books for later on in her career because you can see her curiosities and her... The, I I believe, and I, I think you might be on the same page as me as this, is that when we when we're making work and when we're writing books and when we're sinking into these other places to go and try and transfer whatever is inside of us to outside of us. For me, anyway, there's a question I'm always trying to answer, or curiosities, mm. or puzzles that I'm trying to figure out again and again and again in different shapes with different characters and different worlds and different ways. Right? There's always a puzzle, and I think you can see all in light of any candle the curiosities and the questions that Binchy has that we'll see again later on in Echoes and later on in Circle of Friends the good mother and the bad mother you know mm. like there, there's her her aesthetic even in her debut is here yeah and it's that thing of like I think the best novelist and certainly the kind of novelist that I want to be or aspire to be is someone who goes in with questions and comes out with mm. more questions. Yes. You know? <laughs> Only more questions. Only yeah. More because questions. the thing of like this dichotomy set up at the beginning between Eileen and Violet, mm. that's like the good mother and the bad mother. And then as when, when the girls become adults in, you know, uh, I'm hoping everyone's read at this point, Violet leaves uh, Elizabeth's father who mm. is the most boring man alive mm-hmm. and, and shacks up with this other guy and there's a brief time it's about five or six years where she can be a real adult mother to an adult child mm. and they can be there for each other and talk about things in a way that actually can can no longer speak to Eileen because Eileen the drawbridge is up with Eileen yeah, yeah once you stop being a child and like then it, it flips around so it's like she's not interested in condemning people for life here no no that there's a real understanding that people make mistakes you know, that there is a fluidity to her characters. It's very um, like liquid, you know, like there's yeah. no good person, bad person, good thing, bad thing. You know, it, with the women, at least, um, that there is a a real lifetime of, of change and of growth. And with Ashling and with Elizabeth as well, like they both yeah. um, change so much throughout the journey that we accompany them on, you know. Should, should we have kind of like a... You know, because we have to move on to the different parts of the book because it's such a bloody long mm. book. But a brief thing of like, who actually are Elizabeth and Ashling? Once, once the, the narrative moves away from Eileen, because you're right, she does drive that first sort of third because she's the adult character. Uh, who are they as women when they grow up? Yeah, and it's a, a, I, and they're very, very different because when you meet them as children, you think Ashling's the wild one. Yeah. Ashling has all this mad, manic energy and she's a bit bold in school, but she keeps everybody laughing and she has this streak in her you mm. know and Elizabeth is sort of wan and wide-eyed and anemic and quiet Studious. and meek yeah. and as they become older Ashling's ambition is sort of 
uh, amorphous like she doesn't really have anywhere that she, she just kind mm. of like her academic problems do catch up with her and Elizabeth's straightness and narrowness kind of translates into a very specific kind of ambition she decides she's going to do something and she does it mm. so who Ashley becomes as an or who um, Elizabeth becomes as an adult is an antique dealer and art yeah. teacher and yeah someone who says she's going to do a thing and does it and Ashling marries a drunk and they kind of they they sort of become the opposite's opposite. mother do you know what I mean yeah it's because like Elizabeth kind of uh, she goes back to England right mm. and she sees that her parents have not provided for her and, and they're not prepared for her mm. they, they're not prepared for each other and they've kind of just been languishing in this horrible marriage and there's this ice cold ice cold there's this really heartbreaking letter that Elizabeth gets from her mother just before she comes home which is something like um you know I I, I, I I'm I, I'm really looking forward to seeing you and all this kind of stuff but I, I hope you don't think we're the kind of people that make loads of approving noises I, I we just we're just not kind of thing I just mm. I don't want you to be disappointed and I don't want to say the wrong thing when you get here and she's so like trembling about like how stiff and cold her parents are like yeah. she knows she's suddenly seen the rest of the world and how people can be and she's kind of walked into yeah. this weird mausoleum and her silent banker father who is such a sad character like he's so cold and immovable yeah. you know you get glimmers but they don't last and Violet is I guess embarking on a descent yeah yeah and this thing of it's so strange that moment you have as a as a child when you have to help your parents out of an awkward oh, situation. Wow. And she mean? really bootstraps it. Like she go like yeah. she handles things. She is a very practical And she, so she becomes Eileen. She becomes yeah. the sort of like, all right, no one's gonna organise anyone here, so I'm gonna organise it. And and then she like she fucks off to her friend Monica down the street. House. Monica. Monica. There are two Monicas. One's a cat. Meow meow. And the other is a person who I she doesn't even really like. The, what I love about this is the secondary friends also. You know, yeah. is that like Ashling and um, Elizabeth are sort of each other's like constant, you know, there's a sort of a soulmate-ishness. They're blood sisters. They did the mm. thing where they cut their hands open and like, which we don't see directly, but we hear referenced. And mm. I, I'm obsessed with that. Like, it's just, it's so carnal. And so unlike the rest of the novel, it sort of feels like the, this little, the, this tiny touch of magic in, in it, you know? Mm. Um, and uh, they both have one other friend, Joni, uh, is Ashling's friend and Monica is, and who becomes her sister-in-law, who becomes her sister-in-law. And, um, Monica, who is Elizabeth, and neither of them seem to like the other. No, they're just like much. here's someone I have to be friends with. I guess they're the same age as me and live near me. <laughs> Which we, we've all had those connections in our lives. Oh my god, time and a place, you know. And yeah. uh, it's it's very sad seeing it written down because you can kind of feel that reverberation. Like, oh yeah, I I I understand that. Like, there are sometimes just people near you the same age as you, and that's childhood. That's your teens. Yeah, you know. And um, the interiority of it is very sad. And Elizabeth, she fucks off down the street to Monica's house and sends her parents a letter saying like, you're going to straighten yourselves out. <laughs> and I'm going to live with Monica until you guys get it together. <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to stay here. Yeah. Here, here's what's going to happen. You're going to clean the house. You're going to do it up. You're going to employ somebody to clean it once a week. I'm not going to be doing chores for you. I have A-levels to do. Da, 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 da. Like, do up my room. This is a shambles. You should be ashamed of yourselves. Yeah. And they really listen to her and they're like, you're right. We're a shambles. <laughs> astonishing astonishing you know yeah. and they it's like their their family dynamic is so profoundly different from the patriarchal system under which Ashling's family works mm. you know that the fact that Elizabeth can be like you're doing all this wrong 
and yeah. I'm not tolerating that. Yeah, yeah. And they'll listen. And she, she, it's so exciting to see, because I think so many books that take us on a childhood to adult journey, it's like the shy child turns into a shy adult. But Elizabeth is like, becomes very sensual, very mm. earthy, very artistic, very uh, driven and uh, just is able to handle her shit. Like she's yeah. a very aspirational character. She is. Yeah. She has a very, like, she does feel pain. She does experience sorrow, but there's a clarity to which she sort yeah. of navigates the world. Whereas Ashling's feelings are very muckier. Mm, do you know what I mean? Mm. And she sort of is like, well, I suppose I'm just going to go along with this now, haven't I? Yeah. <laughs> very nice. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Fine. You know, there's a scene later in the book where uh, her mother comes up to the house that she's moved into with her. Actually, we won't talk about Tony yet. Yeah. Uh, another another of Maeve's Tonys. Um, she loves to- Loves a Tony. Loves an untrustworthy loves an Tony. Untrustworthy, an untrustworthy, this is Tony point two. Yeah. You know? Uh, or Tony point one. Whoa. The this second, is the first Tony. This is the OG Tony. Whoa. <laughs> the second like, Tony was an evening class. Proto Tony. Um, so, yeah, Ashling is much more sort of, um, she actually is kind of a disaster area. She's yeah. a lot of courage and is very social and it's very funny but she's less um, ambitious and is sort of not essential and that's really interesting to me this sort of the great uh, sexual tragedy of Ashling's life yeah. you know is that she's just and I love it in her letters when she's just like have you done sex yet please explain it to me <laughs> like what is this are you doing sex and it, it, the way that it's written is so funny and so blunt because Ashling who should by all means by her character she's funny and of course like she's yards yeah, of red hair she should hair. be the one doing the riding she should be the, and she's set up almost to be the one doing the riding and then Elizabeth's the ride and then like, Elizabeth is like okay let's go whatever yeah. no problem easy peasy and uh that's a really interesting contrast, I think. Yeah. Yeah, when you have the sort of the shy withholding woman be the sex part is quite fun. Yeah, it's really fun and you're delighted for her, you yeah. know? Whereas poor Ashling, I'm sad. Like I sad. Yeah. It's 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 hard. Ashling's um uh distance from it is very tough. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I guess it shows like something going on there really, because mm. it shows you've got these two women who have these incredible sparks within them and have this incredible bond and when Elizabeth goes to London, even though it's post-war and even though all the buildings are crumbling down, there are places to put her ambition. Like there's yeah. college, there's art, there's the antique shop. No nah, man, Ireland you know... eats your screams. You can stand <laughs> on the side of a screams. hill. You can stand on the side of a hill and be like, please, God, help me. And Ireland will sh- shout back, there are only four arts jobs in this country. <laughs> <laughs> you need to go. <laughs> like, they're... Get the fuck out. Get out, what are you doing? doing here it's 2000 euro a month for a studio betterment it's still doing that do you know that's still there and you can you can feel the that part of Ireland's character and you can see how many lives it eats you know even historically and Ashling being eaten by Ireland until she eventually goes to London and we see we watch this progression of her being this like sparky, gorgeous woman who everyone loved and is great laughed, just being this like abused, depressed person. Yeah. Like so, let's talk about the two romance figures in the book. Yeah. I won't call them romantic heroes. There, there are, are no romantic heroes in this book. Two men. Two men. <laughs> I was gonna say gentlemen. I'm like men. Two men. One of them is Johnny Stone. Johnny Stone. <laughs> Johnny Stone. I think the first time he cooks for Elizabeth, he's like, I'll bring you up to my apartment and cook you a Johnny Stone special. And I was like, "You, this is outrageous behavior. <laughs> this who, is outrageous. who were you imagining for Johnny Stone? I was thinking like a James Dean type. 
Yeah, it was kind of that old school, like dark haired. Um, but like boyish, but like with a grown up face, mm, you know, mm, floppy hair. Yeah, yeah. A kind of a little, like a little one of these, you know, yeah. all like a little flop. Sarah is moving her hair back and forth in front of her face. There's your ASMR. Um, yeah, uh, he, I can see all of his features, but not his face. He's very real in it, you know, yeah. and his voice, his his character's voice is so different from all of the others. He mm. is, he is genuinely charming and funny and silly yeah. and an endless source of absurd pet names, which I really respect. Like he just calls her mad things. Like I think I texted you this. I was like, if a if a gentleman called me funny, funny face, face, I would I would simply leave. <laughs> I would be like, and she stays for seven and she's years. Seven years. So he kind of comes into her life because he he works for the antique shop that she falls in with, um, and kind of goes around the country like sizing up people's basements for for their furniture and whatever, uh, buying them, reselling them, and uh, it's this funny thing. He's got so much personality mm. and no character. Yeah, you know? yeah. He, it's this, it's it's like this weird King of the Fairies, Tamlin type situation, where you can have you can be with him and you can have the best time with him, but you must not make him unhappy for even a second. You simply must not have wants or needs. Yeah, you must not have aspiration, ambition, or problems. You may never have felt anything other than, would you like to go to bed? Like that is literally all you're allowed to communicate. Yeah. He has a set of like mysterious rules. He is like the king of the fairies. Like you do this thing wrong and he is gone. And Elizabeth knows this up front. A friend of mine had this system by which he, um, I only thought about this recently and I hadn't thought about it in years, that there was different men you meet at different times in your 20s. Mm. And you uh, meet someone who's a boy. Mm-hmm. Who's a boy. You meet someone who is a, Guy in the wind. So they're a not a boy. In the they're, not, wind. they're not. They're not a boy, but they're a guy. But they're still like breathing. Then you meet a guy. Then you meet a guy in the world. And then you meet a man. Oh my god! Right, and that is where you boy, guy in the wind, guy, guy in the world, man. And Please you might take get... me through those three those three middle uh, movements. So, uh, guy in the wind. Guy is just a guy. <laughs> <laughs> you can give me just a guy, right? Guy in the world is where you might start to set. You might like, okay, he's got potential. He's gone through his, his floating around. He's gone through his just being a guy bit. You know, he's 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 maturing, but not matured. You know, uh-huh. so those two options, those two last options, are accept acceptable. Uh-huh. Man is where you want to go. You know, and what's the? I'm sorry, I, I, the temptation to get sidetracked just by this <laughs> yeah, is what so a concept, huge. Right? <laughs> what a concept! Yeah, yeah. Um, so, what are the what are the main differentiating characteristics between guy in the world and man? Uh, guy in the world is not finished, but you can finish with him. Okay. You can t- you can meet him there and beca- you can take he, him there. He can beca- he's ready. He's about to be a man, <laughs> right? So you can go that last bridge on him, right? <laughs> You know, <laughs> I have been married for eleven years. Sorry, I just want to just want to put this up here. I am speaking absolute nonsense. I have I have not dated in like a decade. I am obsessed right? with this. But this system of measurement is pretty good, right? So when I think of Johnny Stone and guy all of the, the lifetimes, a guy in the wind, and he's never not going to be a guy in the wind. Mm. He is in the wind. He is never even just going to be just a guy because he's like when when a guy wind. is in the wind, he's like charming and you're likely to get swept away by him right so he's out here sweeping up people all the time people are romanced by him there's a point in it where he like has a bit of a cold and like Elizabeth goes up to his apartment (laughs) to give him but like yeah exactly Elizabeth goes up to his apartment to be like I'm going to give you some medicine or beef broth or something and there's just this beautiful Italian bird in her knickers 
you know, being like, oh, hello. <laughs> you know, like it's New Year's Eve or Christmas Eve or something, you know, like he is on his adventure and he is never coming off his adventure. And you can participate in his adventure. You can be swept away in the wind. We're going to get dropped from a height. He's going to keep blowing. He's going to yeah. keep going. And I know? like the guy in the wind thing because it, it doesn't hold you responsible because it's nature. Oh, yeah. Like, there's nothing like it. Do you know what I mean? Like <laughs> Nothing it's, like it. It's, but it's romantic, you know? Like, it's it's a thrill. It's a journey. It's in motion. It's terrible. You know? It's going to pull you apart. But, like, at least it's something happening. And you can yeah. stay in that motion forever. The thing about a guy in the wind when you're... <laughs> when you're in your early 20s is that nothing has happened to you in your life yet probably oh yeah (laughs) yeah and so having that drama inviting that wind drama in is very exciting absolutely and I think you need to go through the guy in the wind bit in order to be like the wind goes through you absolutely before you catch your death like that's it you have to experience it so that when you land Mm. you're like okay that was fun and so that you don't get caught later on and and Elizabeth spends seven years in the wind oh my god and she is trying to navigate with the wind at all times she's like well if I just hang on here well if I don't put my arm up well if I don't have an emotion well, if I don't ask him anything. Yeah, yeah. She, and she plays the game very well. Yeah, she doesn't... She, she'll never tame him, but she comes close. Yeah. Like, she does break his heart when she marries the inexplicable Henry. <laughs> like, who <laughs> just rolls up in the last quarter of the book and is... I know. And, and the thing is, here's the thing with Henry. He fools us into thinking he's a guy in the world. Because oh, he's boring. He's uh, actually a guy in the wind. Yeah, you think you think maybe this is somebody, and he does become a man, but he doesn't become a, a good, good man. man, you know. And that's that's the other thing. Woof. Boy, got boy, guy in the wind, man, guy in the world, like that. That saga, mm-hmm. none of that is moral. Oh. None of these are good people, bad people. They're just ways people operate in their. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mm. You know, I'm so glad that you got on a plane to come to me. <laughs> that would have been a great voice note. I that would have been a great voice note. I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed. Um, and, and do you know what, actually, um, you know, when we talked about the top of the podcast about how there is melodrama in Maeve Finchie's work, but the, the the higher, better, cleaner, worse drama comes from like little emotional moments. Mm, mm. Um, there's a bit that really upsets me about the Johnny Stone thing. And it's actually not how he treats the two women. Um, who, spoiler, he shags them both. Um, but 
it's so there's this thing where like him himself and Elizabeth are on like this road trip around the country and she's like oh can you drop me off at my my mother and my stepfather's house oh my up God. in Preston or yeah something. I have a Preston story that I'm not going to tell on air but I could not believe that a bunch of this book is set in Preston of all the places Let's in the UK yeah that's a lunch conversation but I was like Preston what <laughs> wow of all places yeah. in the UK um, and, and and because they're on this sort of they haven't like they're not properly together together yet but he's like sure I'll drop you up and I'll come in for tea and I'll like whatever and like they have she has the best night she ever yeah. has with her mother Violet and her stepfather Harry who's just a dote ah uh, yeah he's, he's great he turns out to be great doesn't he like he's, he's a really proper, brilliant yeah yeah massive dote and um and they and it's rationing and like someone's managed to get a rabbit and like they make this pie and oh they... Johnny Stone fall out goes out and kills a rabbit and yeah. brings it back for a pie like oh. there's your masculinity there's your wind there's your elemental nonsense <laughs> there's you your know wind. out there and kill a live animal for dinner Jesus and three of the four people at that dinner have the best night of their lives <sighs> and and literally so and so then Violet you know. Uh, she has some kind of undisclosed mental disorder that I'm not really quite I don't think there was quite the language for at the no, time there wasn't appropriate language for it um, but essentially yeah. she has a mental break and, and spends the rest of her life in a sanatorium sanatorium yes yeah. and um, you know so obviously it falls to Elizabeth to look after Harry and she wants to look after Harry because she loves him like mm. she, he's like a second father to her and he's kind of more of a father to her than her own father and he's a bit more crack and kind of gives a bit more emotional feedback than her yeah. father who is functionally a suit of armour yeah and you can talk to him and like and whatever and um and he's like writing her letters from Preston being like oh you get Johnny to come see me again I love seeing Johnny my friend Johnny yeah and at one point he says to her like uh, oh, I'd love to come down to London for a break you know, I I don't know if I can afford a hotel, but would you mind if I stayed in my pal Johnny's house? Yeah. And Johnny has basically forgotten who Harry is and doesn't. And, he's, and he says something to her like, I don't want to be some hostile for old geezers. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah. And he's really brusque about it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 she, and Elizabeth's like, look, what? Like you, you were so kind and so nice. I mean, such a nice time that time you came up. And he was like, yeah, it's because it was spontaneous. Now, if I go, I want as your boyfriend. It means something. Da, da, da. I don't want to be pinned down. And it's just horrible because like, literally every character brings up to each other the night with the rabbit pie. And it's not, it's less nothing than a footnote to, to Johnny. It's nothing I mean? to him. And that's how he operates. Like he is party man with a party plan like he yeah. just goes around having a great time which is why he's attractive and why he's compelling and why he lands both of our um our gals you yeah. know that he has that indeterminable energy and like if I had been reading this younger I would have been like oh Johnny Stone do you know like yeah. there is a I want to fix him yeah, yeah. like I no leave him like leave, <laughs> let, leave him broken whatever wind. make him worse who cares you know <laughs> like I I don't I can see him as an archetype behind the wind. You know, I can mm. see that. But And as you say, not a moral position because moral there's position. real goodness in him too. Yeah. Like yeah. he shows up for Elizabeth in times when it's important to show up for her. And, and he's a clear communicator. Yeah. yeah. He's not lying to her. Not you lying. Know? No lies. He's just like, no, I don't want to know. I don't like feeling sad. I don't like talking about sad things. He says it. He's summer. He's 500 days of summer. Yeah. He's like, absolutely don't know. I'm, I'm doing this. And Elizabeth... The hardest thing about Elizabeth and Johnny Stone's relationship is that she knows full well what she's doing, but it still hurts. Yeah. And that that's life. Like, that's a really complicated matrix of engagement that you enter with somebody where you're like, all right, this is theoretically great crack. I am enjoying this. Mm. It is finite. It is eth ethereal. Like, it's it's not going to last forever. 
you know. And why it lasts so long, I think, is this, this mm. is thing that comes back in Elizabeth's story a lot. Um, and something her mother kind of gives to her, which is like, there are people in life for whom they bring the crack. Mm. And there are people who receive it. And you are a receiver kind of yeah. thing. And and she's this sort of she's sort of made to feel like even though she's, you know, smart and pretty and nice and like good to people and sensuous, she's not one of life's fun bringers. Like Ashling. Like Ashling is. And she really envies that. And so Ashling so Ashling um comes over when she comes over to England when Elizabeth gets pregnant by Johnny. Mm. And, jo- and she's not going to tell Johnny about it because why would you worry the king of the fairies? Yeah. Why would you simply bother him with such things as biology? Yeah. Yeah. And, and um, even though like Ashling is a staunch Catholic and she never judges her for it. And there's a great sequence where uh, they're in the boarding house before going Adjacent to the, to the abortion clinic. Abortion yeah. clinic. And um, which this is, is this is the mid fifties? Well, yeah, like, I was like, this is a lady's kitchen. Like this is a midwife's kitchen. They're doing it yeah. right. A nice clean room. Like the, yeah, a back room. A, a back room. The, the absolute know? the quintessence of the back room when we talk about back room abortions. Yeah, and they know? hand. She doesn't over dramatize. Again, she's very perfunctory in her details, but there is a horror to it. It's not yeah. deliberate. It's not laid on thick. It's just a horror that I think anybody who has that particular set of reproductive, reproductive organs knows mm. that 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 horror and that kind of history and um she uh they're, they're upstairs and the i think the abortion is the next day and violet turns on ashley and it's just like you're judging me you think mm. the babe's gonna go to limbo you know you're judging me you don't want me to do this because you, you think mean, god sorry, sorry uh elizabeth, is elizabeth sorry turns on sorry violet yeah, yeah. elizabeth turns on ashley upstairs and says uh you're judging me mm. you think i'm gonna go to hell you think I'm a murderer. You think I'm this. You think I'm that. And it's like, you're trying to convince me not to. You're sitting there looking at me all holy with your sad eyes. And Ashling lets her talk and lets mm. her say all this really shitty stuff. And it's the first serious conflict they've had. Yeah. And she lets her. And then she's like, why aren't you saying anything? Why aren't you saying anything? Why are you just sitting there looking at your hands? And Ashling goes, you told me that no matter what happened, not to convince you. Oh. And you're, I can see you trying to convince yourself mm. and using me to convince yourself not to do this. So I am not going to say anything. You want to do this yeah. and you're going to do this. And I'm not going to be uh, basically like, I'm not going to be a vessel with which you guilt yourself. It's a very complicated, yeah. elegant, emotional moment that's handled very simply. And they bounce back from it immediately. Violet's like, oh, sh-. not Violet, sorry. Elizabeth, I'm going to keep calling her Violet. Yeah. Violet in my head. Elizabeth, um, Elizabeth realises immediately like oh oh shit yeah that, that's what I was doing yeah I was yeah. trying to use you like it, it's a very difficult time for them and it's over then yeah <laughs> and their lives move on and know? it's so weird because like when you think with a book like this it'd be like oh these intense like sort of blood sisters childhood then their friends forever it does deepen after that abortion thing, mm, right? Because mm. they're let, and it's all indicated through letters, which is, um, there's a real period post Elizabeth going back to London, pre-abortion, where they're, they're, their letters are kind of, oh, sorry, I don't know. I don't really know what to write about. Is this, is this good? Is this fine? And there's no real intimacy. Yeah. But after that abortion thing, they suddenly become this place where they're, it's a, it's a place of confidence is that 
can't exist anywhere else. Absolutely. And they are both, the and letters are tricky and they're trickier for Ashling. But when she, and she often starts them in this, I love, I love her letter writing style. You know, she'll hop in in the middle of a sentence. Like it's very talky. It's the way, yeah. it's the way a person would talk. I love their correspondence. And I think embarking on this very difficult weekend together, even though Ashling is like a roaring Catholic full of, mm. you know, concerns that are based entirely in the fiction of religion. It doesn't damage them. It, it, it fortifies them. And it also sets them up for this is the worst day of my life. I need you to help me, which happens again later. Which happens again later. And that moves on to the next man of the wind. Is mm. he a man of the wind? He's that a man. He's a He's man. just a man. He's a shit man. Tony. Tony. Tell us about Tony. Tony's knocking around for the vast majority of the novel. You know? Yeah, background. Yeah, Tony's sort of lingering in the shadows as this sort of... The eldest son of the richest Catholic family. Yeah, Joni's, Not the Greys. No, the, the, almost, the, but they could have been... Sure, it wasn't his sister, Joni, stepping out with a Grey briefly, you know. And I love it. In the Binge book, there's always rich Protestants who play tennis. Oh, my God. There's, there's always, always someone with a lacrosse stick knocking around <laughs> in the background, you know. Um, yeah, Joni and, and Tony... Joni and Tony... Joni and Tony. Joni and Tony. Wow, didn't say that one out loud until now. Joni and Tony Murray. <laughs> what a name. Uh, Tony is sort of set up as this sort of punitive figure early on because Joni is trying to have the gym ride with one of the Protestants and he comes yeah. home and he catches her out and he loses his shit. I think he's 28 at that point. So he's yeah. sort of like... And she's about 16. Yeah, so yeah. he's young enough. I was a bit like, oh, that's weird that he got... Like, it's a weird... That we're getting his age. That we're getting his age and that he's like weirdly angry about the, This is weird. I didn't... It stood out to me. Yeah. And then as he sort of starts to circle Ashling mm. and takes... And as she, she kind of emerges as this great vivacious beauty of the town. Yeah. And she sort of asks him to the cinema as kind of a joke. Yeah. And then just keeps going. Yeah. And Because there's fuck else to do because Ireland eats your dreams. Because Ireland eats your dreams. And like she says, she's like, oh, well, sure nothing else to be doing than going and yeah. you know sure who else is there who else is there and yeah he's, he, she keeps calling him like ancient and old and not attractive like she doesn't like him she doesn't like him yeah. at and all she, and she like they there's lots of like oh them in the car together him trying to get a bra off or whatever and a couple of very funny lines like yeah, I, I think I texted really you a direct, like just like no you're not getting my bra off Tony sorry you know like very frank you know and it's very uncomfortable and the opposite of the romance and the sensuality mm. that you see with Elizabeth and Johnny Stone. Even though she's hesitant and scared, she's still like down, you know, which is great. Whereas Ashling, it's sort of like this alien land to her and I would nearly read her as asexual. She doesn't yeah. appear to feel sexual desire or queer in some capacity mm. because she doesn't she doesn't experience sexual she's curious about it she wants to know what's going on with it but it feels very foreign to her or sort of like oh, sure, I suppose I was practicing on this person and like she doesn't like seem to enjoy it at all no and yet marries him and marries him and she knows he's a drunk and we know he's a drunk and it escalates and yeah. escalates and it's quite frightening. Sure, didn't he hit? Doesn't he hit a kid on a bike when he's pissed? Yeah, he almost kills a he kid. Kills with a car, kid. yeah. Drunk and driving. He's, and their conversations are so difficult to read. Like he is monstrous to her. She is simply. She could simply ask him a very obvious question, like, you know, would you like a cup of tea? And he will turn on her. Like he mm. hates her. And what's very important about their relationship, they went to Rome, which is again more evening classes foreshadowing. People love going to Italy and maybe love Italy. Um. They never consummate their marriage. Yeah. That wedding night it's scene this, is... Oh, oh my God. God. 
Dead so they stage. have this wedding and Elizabeth comes over for it mm. and it's it's the swishest wedding in town obviously and uh, and you know there's all these kind of cues about how Tony's already a bit pissed he's kind of having these gin and oranges gin and orange another gin big drink in the binchy world it is but it's also such an like it's something you can put away very quickly it's and it's a, untraceable because there's no smell to it it's such a practical drink it's a very like I need to get from A to B to locked real quick yeah. drink like and they sort of leave and they go up to Dublin and they're staying in the Shelburne. Oh my God, the Shelburne is still so swishy. Still. Like, oh like, my God. And, and this is the 50s. <laughs> yeah, and they go up to, they go back and like, they're going to fucking Toner's Yard. Like, I know where they're going for a pint, you know? Yeah. Like, it's right there. So she has all her outfits planned and like, yeah. she's going to, they're going to have, she's like, oh, we're going to have dinner in the hotel room. And, and then she's going to have a bath and she's going to put on her satin negligee and she's like, I have to use the word negligee. And it's yeah. very like, I'm going to assemble a situation in which I'm going to do sex with this man and then it'll all be. <laughs> great yeah and the first thing he's like should go for a pint and she's like I don't want to go for a pint I want to go for a drink in the hotel bar because we're in the nicest hotel in Dublin and I've never been here before and he drags her around with a rando with a rando that they meet in the pub some old fella like yeah and then just he gets shit faced and he needs to be carried up by the porters yeah and he passes out in the chair and leaves her there you know and that is then the priest the, their entire the relationship their relationship and they never have sex and she doesn't want to have sex with him because she loves him. She doesn't want to have sex with him because she desires him. She wants to have sex because she's never had sex. And yeah. it's like this. It's so hard. And it's, it's also so, so authentic. Yeah. It's so real, you know. And this, of course, leads us to what is my hardest part of the novel is when she goes to her mother for help. It's so It's Eileen lives long enough to see herself become the villain. Wow. Like, do you know what it made me think of? A little yeah. bit of Echoes. And a bit of Angela in Echoes. And like this sort of turn. Oh. You know, this sort of like... When you, she rejects her priest brother. You kind of, Yeah. And you curdle into somebody yeah. else. Yeah. You know? It's like whatever is in the water in small town Ireland. It She's eventually been drinking comes. long enough. It, it becomes part of her And you makeup. become... You become part of it. So what happens is, you know, she's been married for about a year and basically everyone is like, sure, Ashling's very depressed. Sure, what does she have to be depressed about? She lives in a lovely house. She's Fine got a big car. car. Yeah, exactly. Sure, what to, and all that kind of thing. And people are doing this thing and it's so Irish. This thing where they're simultaneously very concerned about the person they love, but they can't allow in space in their heads or hearts for her unhappiness because for her to be unhappy would mean they would have to... Interrogate Interrogate things. things. Yeah, exactly. Um... And so she goes to her mom eventually and she's like, Mom, can I talk to you? And she's like, you can. You absolutely can talk to me. But here's the thing. Here's the thing about confidences. If you tell mm. someone an outsider, sometimes you regret it later and then you push that person away. Now, do you want to do that? Do you really want to tell me? Because I will never forget it and I will hold it like a lens over you for the rest of your life. Yeah. Like, yeah. And Ashley's like, Whoa. Yeah. Ashley's like, yeah, I think I want to tell you. She's like, are you sure you want to tell me? <laughs> Because it will change my opinion of you. And she just pushes her, nudges her further and further yeah. away. Until she's at the door. And then eventually Ashling is like, it's about sex kind of thing. And and Ashling's mom is just, I mean, it's just like, listen, when I had sex with your father for the first time, I didn't know whether it was even okay for me to be on top. Is yeah. that a sin? But you work it out. Look, okay, it's lunch. Bye. Yeah, she's really, and you just keep doing it and you work it out. And then you have a load of children. Babies along, keeping you busy now before, you know, like yeah, it's yeah. very. It's horrifying. And it's the opposite of this interested excited passionate woman we've who been, we've grown we feel like we've grown up with as a reader yeah she's sort know? of because she, she is a matriarch in this story and some she like snaps in two here yeah she does not love Ashling in this moment she is not able to help her and the worst thing is 
Eileen because Eileen as much as she looks around her and says everyone's watching her is watching everybody else yeah. so she knows Tony's a drunk Yeah, she knows so when things do escalate and Tony hits her which comes out of the blue it's very shocking when it happens and we've been set up for this moment Eileen who has eyes everywhere must know Ashling mm. goes to her for help again and again and again and again she's rebuffed and initially the help is just my husband can't have sex with me what the yeah. fuck do we do we don't know anything about it and then it. it's my husband is cruel to me yeah and still nothing and then she so she, she goes up and she sees the house and it's a disaster and Eileen's just like everyone will think that I raised you wrong as opposed to oh yeah. my god are you alright yeah and, and like Ashling's like look you know the house is a disaster because he's never here and I'm fucking depressed out of my head and like she's not seeing anything kind of thing she's like we're cleaning this house now and that's it and then the house is clean and then everyone moves on yeah and then and, he hits her and then he hits her and she's like credit to Ashling. this is the moment where she goes absolutely not never again peace see you later she writes a brilliant letter the letter oh there are women in this town I know whose husbands beat them but I will not be one of them woof it's like it really got me it's like there's women in this town and I imagine in every town in every town yeah. in every town she knows and it's a moment in which she takes control of her life because this had been she'd been hurtling towards this destination and we have been reading Tony and seeing him darkening and seeing his cruelty and reading that kind of protracted cruelty is quite hard it's really it's hard because it's fucking relentless yeah like he's really relentless and his narr- his character Maeve's but not, not in a way that feels like like a Victorian bad guy do you know what no, I mean no no it feels like somebody who's like wounded and out of control gay, like yeah. it's angry do you yeah. know what I mean I think it's quite heavily hinted that he is probably gay yeah yeah, yeah. And like uh, there's a there's the sort of quite loaded uses of the word bachelor, mm. which bachelor only means one thing in 1950s Ireland. Well, are you sure well, you'd not be better cut out? Because she does. She goes around to everybody and says, I think I'm going to just call it off. She go, she does the round of the town, doesn't she? Yeah, she goes yeah. she goes around and says, I just think we could get it an old. I just think you'd be better suited to being a bachelor. And everybody, everybody says, what have you done that for? You've got to love a big house. What have you done yeah, that yeah. for? You love a big car. And like, also divorce isn't a thing. And you kind of you, you made exist. a you made a promise you made an oath that whole... in front of God you made it through sickness and what through yeah. health and what yeah you made a promise so stick it out it's very unforgiving but Ashling after he hits her gets her shit and walks and walks and yeah. doesn't come back and and the thing is it's not like the thing with Elizabeth's abortion earlier in the book it 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 breaks a covenant in Ashling's head mm. where it's like someone I love can do something I don't approve of. That means I can do something that my mother doesn't approve of and the love will still be there. You know what I mean? Mm. Like one one doesn't lead to the other, but one does sort of underline the other or underscore the other. And she and she falls on Elizabeth, you know? Yeah, and Elizabeth props her up. Yeah. You know, in you come. And while she has her mother in her ear down the phone being like, Would you would you not come back and never hit you again? The priest said he'd never <gasps> hit you again. Oh my god, the, oh the my rehabilitation god. of Tony is fucking chilling. Chilling, chilling. And also the fact that her that there is no line at which Eileen will stop you know yeah, yeah. there is no line that is where like That's already she really becomes the villain of the piece which is so surprising and so it feels like a betrayal to the reader yeah. almost you're like no not Eileen our fave because no. you want her to come back and be like well no sure he hit you and it's over it's yeah forgive him he'll never do it again he only needed to do it once Jesus Christ yeah. Eileen you know and Tony then kind of begs her to like Tony's destiny is uh, inevitable he dies um, also in a sanatorium uh, people die in institutions in this book it's the 1950s I feel like yeah, there's a lot of yeah, institutional there's death a, there's a lot of places um, to hold your problematic it's a lot of family members just ha- helpful big old buildings yeah. um, so Tony uh, 
does die um, eventually and leaves Ashling of money because they didn't get divorced yeah. or annulled. Um, but uh, I, in her, she's a girl in the wind, right? Aww. You know, <laughs> like she is fully girl in the wind. And um, that's what attracts Johnny Stone to her. As... Yeah, and she gets a lovely little flat. Yeah. Not far from here where we're sitting right now. Oh my God. Yeah, it's all in London, of course. Know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, she... I don't know, like it's a, her, neither of them have a particularly easy time because I guess this is the point at which we have to pivot back to Henry, right? Henry. Yeah. So Henry, so after seven years of Elizabeth suffering on with Johnny Stone, she finally decides she's had enough. Um, And I think a lot of it is is to do with his snobbery rather than his neglect. Because she, um, she starts teaching a little art, an evening class. Evening class. For people for understanding art appreciation and that kind of stuff. And she's good at it. She's so good. She's of course, good she's at good. it. Yeah. And, and the most Maeve Vinci thing in the world is someone teaching a 10-week class and holding a little party for their students at the end of it. Oh, out the back of the antique shop. <laughs> Unbelievable scenes. I know. And, and these these events really are true. Like, it's like, will we? Can we? Should we? Hold a little party for the students? It's we'll so clear out all the children. Chairs and we'll get some cocktail sausages and we'll make a night of it. A couple of bottles of wine and everyone have a great time. It is it is the most like the best thing that can happen to a character in a Maeve Vinci book is that they're at a little party for an evening class. Oh my God, I would literally give anything to be at a little party for an evening class right now. <laughs> simply, simply a little party oh, for oh an God. evening class. Because like, you know, I mean, Vinci was a teacher. Mm. Um, so and her, her real belief in, in the internal power of education, not yeah. just of where it can propel you, but what it can do for the soul. Yeah. Is consistent across all different books. Yeah. Um, and she anyway, she meets this guy Henry, and and he just adores her, and and you're like good. At first, you're like good for Elizabeth, and then as it goes on, you're like good for Elizabeth. Initially, it's like good, healthy, normal man for you there. Yeah, you know, he's a solicitor. You know, yeah. he approaches her with caution. She's still riding Johnny really Stone throughout. And yeah. when she says she's like, I'm riding Johnny Stone, he's like, Oh, do you love him? And she's like, Actually, no. And she does fall out of love with him in a way. Once she sees who he is, she know she loves him still when. She knows that he's off around the country shagging whoever he wants. She's like, yeah. I understand that's part of the rules of dancing with the fairy king, right? But it's when he begins to look down on her and she realizes yeah. that not only does he not care about her family and her sorrow, he doesn't care about her passions and her excitement either. He doesn't support her. And he's somebody who believes in elitism. Mm, because yeah. elitism is what makes his job exist. Yeah. Because he's somebody who like, basically buys old furniture off doddering old people and then resells them at a high price. And early on, Elizabeth's like, that's not fair. That's and troubling. And he's like, shut up. It's, it's, <laughs> it's business. And you know what? It is. It is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and then she's like, you know, she's like, oh, I want to teach people about art. And she's like, look, you can't teach people about art. Let's and it's see, this yeah. very cultural snobbery thing. But it kind of gets to a thing of like, if people know about art, I'm out of a job because mm. they'll know how much their furniture is worth. Mm. <laughs> and uh, so it's a kind of, it's actually an ideological parting that makes her... Yeah, she, she realizes that the the way that he looks at the world is not compatible with the way she looks at the world. And she falls out of love with him in a way that is really organic. Like she when she she stands up to him all the time, even when it, she's in love with him, she all kind of pushes back at him. But yeah. there's a point at which she pushes back at him and realizes that she's not trembling and her heart isn't kind of yeah. going. And she realizes, oh, she really doesn't love him. So when she does get with Henry... She's, it's it's joyful for a bit. Yeah, she's like, look at this nice, good man who cares about me. I think her mother, her mother dies. Uh, Violet dies, and he comforts her afterwards, and she realizes yeah. that she feels very safe in his company. Yeah, you know, and yeah. that's lovely. Like that's 
there, there is a sparkle and a little bit of poetry missing, I think, from how the depiction mm. of her falling in love with him feels. But it does feel all round like a good idea. And the wedding yeah. is lovely and there, there's a baby. Okay, and t- a Tony Sloan scene for that bit and he shows oh, up yeah. pissed and he, he starts singing raw songs. <gasps> singing raw songs and everyone at the wedding is like, who's this lad? And he's awful. At, like, that's really hard that's to bear. His, that's his worst. Like, he's so bad in England and it's really... um. I, I, it's it's uncomfortable to read. He's so bad. It's like, even uncomfortable to read as an Irish person because yeah. he, he he is coming across like an Irish political cartoon. Like, yeah, like yeah. of English people would draw of Irish people. And kind of at thing. one point, Elizabeth has Just to like say, a "Swine in a velvet jacket." Absolutely, and like the, at one point, Elizabeth has to say to her husband, "You know, it's like oh, the Irish like to drink," and Elizabeth Elizabeth is like, "You are not allowed to say that." <laughs> yeah. No. Like she she is like that is not do not say that in front of him or them. Don't do it. But he is. He's making a full show of Ashling, and he is like that is my I felt like palpably that is my nightmare. Yeah. Having to manage that. That would be my nightmare. It's it's almost abject that feeling. It's so it's scary. You know, it's it's really frightening when you're yeah. reading that scene and it's very like, mm, can Elizabeth have one nice thing? Uh, but they're, the wedding is lovely and the baby is uh, they're excited about the baby and everything seems to be going well. And then. It's and this is the thing that Binchy loves as well. It's the it's the echo. Oh, it's that people being echo. destined to repeat the failures and oh, the, the mistakes past. of their parents. Nothing goes into the cave that doesn't come back out. So Elizabeth's resentful father, who is basically the whole thing with Elizabeth's parents' marriage has been like the mom was sort of flighty and uh the dad was like stalwart but as elizabeth gets older she realizes that the dad's miserableness and his resentfulness and the way he just runs everybody down and like he he can't even like be happy on ve day cuz just everyone's praising the soldiers and like, oh and he couldn't go off to war cuz he had like varicose veins or something like yeah, yeah yeah something like that and uh and and he is like a prison of a person kind of thing oh, he imprisons yeah. everyone he touches yeah and uh, and then then slowly but surely Henry starts turning into her father. He starts being resentful of people getting ahead of him in the solicitor's firm. He starts getting angry at Elizabeth for progressing in her own job and starts yeah. like showing. And that was initially why she liked him because he was cheering her on. And you know yeah. that turns inside out. It does turn inside out, and this kind of thing. Well, sure, you make more money than I do anyway, kind of thing. With all of your jobs. With all of yeah, your jobs. Yeah, yeah. and. And then he, he simply, and we're, kind of, we're getting towards the end of the book now, but I do want to come back to Eileen in a minute. Um, uh, he fucking loses his mind. Yeah. He simply has a mental break. Yeah. Because he's kind of been talking for ages about this sort of promotion that's been up for, it's like, I feel like it's like two years he's talking about this promotion he's going to get. And then it's kind of revealed from his best mate, Simon, who really she should have shagged for day one. Simon's great crack, Simon's man. Great yeah, crack. yeah, yeah. Love Simon. Um, love Simon. And uh, <laughs> and then Simon kind of reveals like there's no promotion. There's no he's kind of invented this professional world for himself where he's going to escalate. And we all kind of know he's a, he's, he's, he's a bit yeah. of a fool, like he, he's not very good at his job at just base level. And um, he loses his mind, goes in a bender. Tries to fuck Ashling. Calls her a whore. Straight up yeah. shows her house and calls her a whore. I was like, yeah. I, at that point, I was so immersed and so engrossed that I was like, Yeah. Don't you call my friend that? Don't you know, call don't, my friend don't, a don't whore. Talk to Ashling that. How dare you? She's shagged like two people. Yeah. Including, and it was very, Simon. and it was very difficult. It was hard. <laughs> Jesus Christ. She's really worked to get to her she sexual really freedom. Let her have it, you know? <laughs> but they have a conversation. 
then, mm. which is where we get finally to that searing betrayal. Yes. After all of this journey, wherein there's an emotional tennis, like love and support being thrown back and back and forth across Ireland and England between Elizabeth and Ashling. Ashling tells Henry about the abortion because she assumes he knows. Because should people tell everybody everything? Yeah, well, she could. Well, she you know? literally Elizabeth says to Ashling, "Me and Henry tell each other everything," and then she goes, "Even about Johnny Stone." She goes, "Yes, even, even about, about Johnny Stone. Stone," and she means yeah. I was riding someone before we married, not yeah. I was riding someone had an abortion and then married you, kind of thing. And and then that's when the the nineteen fifties ness of it really clangs. Mm. You're like, oh, because a woman who has an abortion is a shell. Like yeah. she is a she's a demon. She's a satanist kind of thing. Even in England, you know, we don't talk about these kind of things. And uh, he. Goes fucking mad, yep. and he just starts ringing around the houses, being like, "Ah, my wife! You actually got abortion!" Murderer, murderer! Like yeah, yeah. straight up, like all of the stuff that was unsaid in the privacy and tenderness of the experience that happened between Ashling and Elizabeth when Elizabeth got the abortion, which yeah. was so powerful and real, and mm. how women carry each other mm. through those kinds of experiences. There was never any of the sensational horror. That we experience now yeah. from within that world, which is picket lines, people waiting outside clinics to call you a murderer, throwing rosary beads at you. That was all sidestepped in a way. Well, it wasn't sidestepped. Because, it was planted. Yeah. And it grows here with Henry. He is the one who brings down all that rhetoric yeah. and all of that cruelty. It's, and it's the first time that rhetoric is applied, even though we've been hearing about women dealing with their pregnancies. You never from, hear from like it. page 10 with your glasses of gin you yeah. you never hear a voice saying it you know yeah. or delivering it and then you do and it feels really shocking it is it is it's very shocking his turn is astounding you know you find you finally see i guess when he calls ashling a whore you're you're beginning to see this yeah. very different picture of a person who is kind of just full of Full of real hatred. And and that's real the last we see of him. Because he pegs it down the stairs. He simply and dies. falls down the stairs. <laughs> and that yeah. is that is the only minute. And we all can have our debut novelist moment. That yeah. is Maeve Finchie's only debut novelist. In my debut clunker. novel, I simply burned down the house. You know what I mean? Like, no, I didn't. My first, uh, I love burning down houses. It is it mm. is the burning Same. down. It is the burning down of a house, right? It's like the, and how about we, we just destroy this situation. Yeah. Cut the mic. Yeah. Peace, cut the mic, we're out. And, uh, you know, it's, it's what you would like to happen to him, but it also is convenient. It's convenient. And it, it, I do think it's the only place where you would look at it and be like, this is a debut novelist. And for an 800 page book, that's pretty impressive. Because yeah. in my debut novel, I think you can see a lot of places. Oh, sure, same. Like, <laughs> yeah. But that's part of the pleasure is the growth. And, she's, yeah. and when, like, this is a book of not two halves, but a book of three quarters and a quarter. And the last quarter is where it's like, everything sort of goes off the off the yeah. bananas you know between Tony in the sanatorium and then Henry at the bottom of the stairs and then we've got two widows at the end of the book yeah. who we also meet in the epilogue and it feels a little bit like an editor's hand I think yeah. because it actually breaks with the style of the book as well mm. it breaks with it in, in the way it's like it's so melodramatic yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and it, it like I like Catherine Cookson a lot but it feels very Catherine Cookson it feels like pot boilery it feels like kitchen sink drama it feels not like Binchy and, and Binchy yeah. never really feels that way again actually yeah yeah. You know? even at the end of Circle of Friends where you're kind of rooting for like there yeah. is a drama that happens but it's quieter it's more domestic it's smaller yeah. it's someone goes through a glass window and gets up again it's not somebody falls to the bottom of the stairs and yeah. you know there's two deaths in that book but both of them are so 
ordinary and or, or two acts of violence in that in that book you know and they're both just terrible things that happen not and her husband fell from the top of the stairs after saying yeah. this like there's no it's it's more human and i guess it returns to its humanity then when kind of the final pages are you know them in the coroner's court and then being mm. sort of asked to present any kind of evidence and you know they just kind of leave it at he was drunk and he fell down the stairs kind of thing and they kind of they 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 emit all of this information that he's the fact that he was calling Johnny the fact that he was telling everybody about the abortion the fact that he was calling Ashley a murderer the all of this stuff and it's like and then like let's put this back under the rug where it belongs mm. and that's uh, that's kind of how the book ends like they walk they walk then into the distance yeah and, and they remain best friends in England yeah, yeah. in yeah. the land of in the land of endless horizons yeah, you know? baby Eileen. Oh my God, baby Eileen. After Eileen the Elder. I w- w- and this is we need to come to the end of the podcast now, but uh, I don't want to finish without finishing with Eileen. Yeah. Because, and this this is like something that like it, it upset me when I read it, but it upset me more when I learned a bit more context about it. Because there is a scene where it's like Eileen is dying. She yes, has, she has cancer. And, uh, you know, Elizabeth and, and Ashling come over. It's the first time they've come over since Ashling deserted Kilgarrett because of her marriage or whatever. And and they have like these 10 days with Eileen who knows she's dying and talks to them about it. And, and is, you know, she talks about what she wants. She talks about what she's scared of. It's so intimate. It's so heartbreaking. Um, and then I learned that like uh, Binshi herself, you know, her her mother had died not that not that like soon before this kind of thing maybe four or five years previous but you know there's something that her her brother says on that documentary about her where it's like you know the the life went out of the family the heart went out of the family and her and her and her brother both give these separate interviews where they essentially say the same thing where they say you know um back then you know that kind of ireland you know we didn't talk about when someone was dying and i really regret that we didn't let her talk about it and so this eileen scene just it feels like it just feels like she's like you know, writing sort of correct, it's corrective surgery, you know, yeah. and it, it's really moving. But that's the gift that we get. You know, that's what we get to do. Like yeah. we get to do it. And the hand with which Maeve writes is so distant from reality. But when you start to see those connective pieces of tissue, it lands in you, right? That like this was a person, you know, yeah. telling her own experience of the world. Not just a woman with a fantastic imagination and a keen eye for character. Yeah. There is an intrinsic truth about life that she's telling here. These are right. her questions. Because there's, you know, as novelists, you know, we, we create worlds, we explore ideas, we ask, ask questions, we come up with more questions. But there's always that little bit of you that is performing corrective surgery. Mm. You know, it's like, like things you wish you said and patience you wish you had. And, you know, and it's, 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 yeah, it's the glowing. The glowing bit. Yeah. This is a great one, man. <laughs> <laughs> this is a great book. This is a great book. <laughs> Such a good book. Such a good book. Oh, God. Oh, I wonder well. what we'll do next. I don't know, man. Tara Road. Tara Road, Class Lake, you know. Who knows? Vote, everyone. Yeah, let us know. So, <laughs> 2023. <laughs> so who are you when you're not talking to me about my Vinci? Oh, my name is Sarah Maria Griffin. And my two novels, Fair and Found Parts and Other Words for Smoke, are available in all good bookstores. They're speculative fiction that deal with um, monsters and growing up and 
a whole load, load, a whole bucket of other questions that I haven't found the answer to yet. I'm on twitter.com at Grifsky. I'm on Instagram at Sarah Grifsky. And if you like zines or a good post in your inbox, uh, actual post you can touch with your hands, I have a Patreon as well. So uh, and I'm if, around. <laughs> if you'd like to chart... Uh, me and Sarah's friendship as it's evolved over the last six years you literally can do that because yeah. the first day we met we recorded a podcast yeah the Fraser episode of Juvenalia um, I'm a co-host on the podcast Juvenalia with my friend Alan McGuire where we talk to an interesting person about a piece of pop culture that was important to them when they were young we've been doing it for a long time and I first met Caroline in a recording booth in Dublin in 2015 and uh, 15 or 17 it's not is it I think I don't 17? know 17 in 2000 and X and uh, <laughs> We did an episode of Juvenalia about Fraser Crane wherein we understood suddenly that we see the world in both incredibly different but incredibly similar ways. So yeah. if, you, if you'd like to chart our Light a Penny Candle, it starts there and it moves Light through. Light a Penny Podcast. Yeah, Light a Penny Podcast. <laughs> Thank you, Sarah. I love you. Love you too, Caroline. Right. This has been Sentimental Garbage and I've been Caroline O'Donoghue. The podcast was produced and edited by me with mix and music by Harry Harris and artwork by Gavin Day. If you'd like to email me about the pod, you can do so on sentimentalpod at gmail.com or get in touch with me directly on Twitter or Instagram at ZaraLine. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.